You're listening to Breast Cancer Connection, where we connect you with breast cancer experts on what you need to know to navigate your experience. Hello, I'm Kathy Amendolea, and today we're talking about where to start when navigating a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. Today, we'll be hearing from Fiona McDonald, who is a nurse navigator that has helped many women navigate their metastatic breast cancer diagnoses. Thank you for joining us, Fiona. Thank you for inviting me. So today we're talking about where to start when you first receive a diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. So what do you believe to be the most important considerations for someone who has just been diagnosed with metastatic disease? So I think initially people hear from different sources. Usually these women have more than likely been discharged out from their family doctors and have presented with some new symptoms. So sometimes that initial this initial diagnosis has come to them through their family doctor or the emergency where they would investigate it. And I think explaining what metastatic breast cancer is when they first come to the clinic, many people come in and think that they have bone cancer or lung cancer and it's a new cancer. So I think just explaining the whole disease pathway um, that this is actually still breast cancer that has moved to another part of the body. As I said, there's there's many families who just who don't understand that they don't they don't get that that was that it is actually still breast cancer and not a new a new cancer that's popped up. I think when you first come into the cancer center, I think when people hear metastatic cancer, they think that's it. I'm you know, end of my life is near. But this is, a, is very often very treatable. So I think having somebody with you at your first visit is one of the most important things, is to bring another set of ears um, so that you can understand actually what's going to happen in the future. I think also it's an individual approach. You, Everybody is, is different. Some people are, are, are more read up on it and they have already gone to the internet. It's almost like a grieving process. There's, there's anger, there's sadness, they're afraid, shock. Um, and I think giving yourself time to, to wrap your head around all these things is one of the biggest things. It's just take a breath, take some time to, to understand the plan and, and obviously write down all your questions. And I think that's for, very much for the initial, initial visit back to the cancer center. How many women do you think come in understanding what metastatic disease? Because when they were first diagnosed, they were given that information once they receive the prognosis? So I think there, there's different groups. I think when people were initial diagnosis, they obviously knew what sort of, what type of breast cancer they had, whether it was hormone positive or triple negative. And they were given numbers probably. I know in our centre, the physician I work with the most gives them numbers. You know, the risk of recurrence and is probably higher with some than others, obviously. Um, some people are more... They they know that this could have happened to them, and other people, it's a complete surprise. Like they did everything, they had the surgery, I, they did all the treatment, they did everything right. Why did this come back? So they don't really, they don't understand why it's come back in some cases, and in others, people are, as I said, have already been to the internet and realized that um, this is either good or bad. Depends on you know their initial prognosis. We do explain to them we can't always predict the future. And I think honesty is is a very big word right from the beginning. 
knowing that now in the in this day and age, metastatic breast cancer is, it can be treatable, very treatable in a lot of cases. We cannot cure it. And I think people want, think, well, I had surgery the first time. Why can't I just have surgery again? And I, I think there's a lot of explanation goes into that initial visit to let them know why this isn't possible. Uh, we can't predict the future, whether there's going to be first, second, third steps. And we have to take it sort of one step at a time. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think lots of women, when they're first diagnosed, uh, and then they follow their treatments and it's all done, uh, they'll go back to their oncologist and they'll say, what now? What happens if I recur? So do you think that if they're well prepared in advance, this kind of helps them go through it if in case it does happen that they do face a metastatic uh, comeback? There's a program at the hospital I work at where they do their, when they are transferred out to their, most most usually their family physician, sometimes it's a nurse practitioner. There's a lot of teaching going into self, um, self-assessment self basically, and, what the, and also their follow-up care, you know, their mammograms, their breast exams, self-breast exams. A lot of people are very... They want scans uh, to make sure that it doesn't come back. And we have to explain that uh, that you could have a scan one week and, you know, three months down the road, things might change. So it's all it's about teaching and teaching what to look out for and new symptoms. And I think if they have the tools where they feel they're doing something, because once they're finished their initial treatment, they're like, they feel like they've been set adrift. And what next? Like I'm on my own. And I think the teaching part is really important to make them, to give them the tools to, to self-assess and for new pains, new symptoms, you know, weight loss, thing, a multitude of things. And there, there is a program that we have at the hospital who does a lot of teaching with them when they're transitioned out of the cancer center. So how do you help patients prioritize their questions and concerns about the new diagnosis? I can imagine what's what's going through their heads. And I'm sure that they have volumes of questions and concerns and fears. So in order for them to get a clearer understanding of their process now, their new process, how do you help these patients prioritize their questions? So I think as I said, you know, obviously bring somebody with you to their first appointment. Some people are well prepared and have their questions already, you know, listed we have to let them know it's a process. And initially, when they first come, we may need more information to make sure we have the right treatment for them. So that may involve more blood tests, scans, you know, pathology testing. People come in and want to start their, you know, treatment yesterday. But we want to get it right the first time. So there is, there may be some time that you have to wait to wait till the physician gets all the information that they need. You don't want to start something that's not the best one for them as an individual. We try to focus on one step at a time. Um, obviously, give them all the information we have at that time, but we we have to focus on what we do know and what we can do right now versus what's going to happen in the future, you know, in the months down the road. So you can't always go too far ahead right at the beginning. And I think that's difficult for people because they, you know, they want to know, is this going to work? Uh, whatever we're going to do, is it going to work? And that, obviously, we can't answer at that first point. Right. So I guess um, patients are treated differently depending on where they are in this country because there are bigger cancer centers and there are smaller 
cancer centers or just going to their hospital if you're in a rural area. Is there anything that is um, a must? Like what are your top priorities that should be almost standardized for these women once they get this new diagnosis? Well, they have to be referred back to a regional cancer center. Uh, very often the, the testing or, as I said, the their diagnosis has been given to them by maybe their family doctor or a small ER close to where they live. Um, they will be referred back usually to the initial place that they were treated, which is difficult for people because then they live, you know, in, in, our, in the area where I am, we have a lot of people that are two, three, four hours away. So it, it, it is difficult as far as logistically, financially, there's a lot of things to look at. But they usually will come back to the centre that they were initially treated at. It's easier if they come with maybe all the testing. Um, you could uh, They can ask their family physician, emergency, to reach out maybe to uh, their oncologist to see if there's anything specific that they can have done before they come, which would also save some time. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on and let's discuss resources and uh, some coping strategies. What kind of resources are typically provided to someone who has just been diagnosed with the metastatic breast cancer? Well, I think first of all, in my case, I can, as I said, I can only speak for my case. I work with a physician and I work with the same physician every week. So I've got a really good workspace in where I, I see the same patients. Not every center has the same method of a doctor and and a nurse together. It's not a consistent thing. Whereas with me, I see the the same patients I know, and some of them I've known for four, five, six, seven, eight years. So they know me, they trust us. I think so trust, honesty. There's also our support line that people can call. It's staffed by experienced nurses. And as it's only open Monday to Friday, and there is also a connect care outside for the whole of Ontario that they can call outside hours with evenings, weekends, nights. We do try and see if they can wait to call our own support line because we, um, you know, we know their physicians easier and, you know, perhaps can answer their questions better. There's also our psychosocial oncology program, which covers social work, dietitian, physio, those sorts of things. So a lot of people will, will need referral to our social work for psychological counselling, direction to go to groups, help with family members if they have young children. And they can have a lot of resources for the psychological support. There's also financial. Sometimes the medications with metastatic breast cancer are very expensive. If they don't have insurance, we have to access compassionate supplies or work with an insurance company if they do have partial insurance. A lot of people, unfortunately, think that every single medication is covered by OHIP, and unfortunately, it's not. So that's actually a shock sometimes to people when they come in. And if it's an expensive drug that we have to find funding for, people are obviously afraid to wait. Um, so our social worker uh, and ourselves, and we have a, an, an office that deals with, with reimbursement, they can help them out to navigate that. There's also Trillium, the drug coverage for, you know, if you don't have insurance, we usually get them to apply for, for Trillium. Again, our social worker can help with that. Supporting their family, let them know it's a team. There's There could be radiation colleges, medical oncologists, their family doctor even to keep them in the loop because a lot of people have been with their doctors for a long time. And obviously honesty, I mean, we 
it's okay to say that we don't know what's going to happen because you don't want to lie to anybody. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the most important things. Yeah, I agree. I think that you have to be honest right from the get-go. Otherwise, mm -hmm. things become a little bit uh, confusing and more difficult. And it's interesting because people hear what they want to hear, so you have to be careful of that. So how you relay these messages are very important to patients. And um, going back to support for their loved ones or somebody who is uh, taking care of these individuals, do you automatically give them that resource so that they can start up right from the get-go? Because this is going to be a very challenging uh, journey. And I think that for most part, the caregivers are mostly in the background and sometimes we forget about them. Yeah, so they, they have to obviously agree to be referred. Uh, so we have to get consent, obviously. We do have numbers up around the centre where they can also self-refer. So if they don't feel initially that they want to speak to anybody, uh, the number is available where they can actually self-refer at any time down the road. Uh, I think the other thing we have to look at as well is the age of people. There may be talks that you need if somebody's more elderly or if they have a more advanced disease where they're living at home and you might have to look at an alternative level of care and not family because not everybody has a family that can have them come to live with them or who can spend the time if that need be. So again, it's a very individual thing. It's it's how advanced your your disease is. If you're healthy, if you're pretty good and you know and still working. It's different from somebody who's elderly with other comorbidities and may need more care down the road. So it's it's also planning for the future because we don't want to be, as I always say to people, you don't want to be stuck on a Friday night with nobody to look after you. So yes, they can they can access their the social work and the support teams right from the beginning if they want, but not everybody wants to do that right at the the beginning. It takes a while for them to digest everything, and then they'll understand what what they need as mm -hmm. things move along. So uh, if we're talking about all these unknowns, obviously, because these, this is going to be new to the individual and their family, um, at the time when they're diagnosed, how do you help them navigate all of these unknowns when they're given this diagnosis? Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing conversation that you, I think, I think at the beginning, you, you, they don't, we don't know everything right at the beginning. I think it's really taking one step at a time. I think, first of all, people are frightened that this, as I said, this is when they hear the word metastatic, that, you know, life is over. But I think it's giving some people hope where you, where you want to give them hope. But again, you're not going to lie to them about their prognosis. I just open communication. Let them ask their questions if they want numbers, some people are numbers are numbers people. If they want numbers about their prognosis, then they certainly, I'm sure the physician will provide that. Some people don't want to know. They don't want to know what's in their future. They just want to see what we can do for them. So I think you have to let them guide you um, as far as their decision making. Some people will say, no, I'm not, I don't want any chemotherapy if, if, that was be, if that was be their line of treatment. And they will say, no, I'm not doing it. And that is also their choice. Maybe there's other options. Maybe there's clinical trials that are appropriate for them. Letting them know that they don't have to make a decision right there and then. The treatment and the schedule may not fit in with somebody's life, lifestyle and say, no, I don't want to do that. Is there other options? I think knowing 
what to ask when you come or not at the, even at the first visit, but maybe the second. So this is, you know, we may have a plan, but this may not be their plan. They don't have to make that decision on that day. And I think that's also important that you can go away. There's a lot to absorb, obviously. The medical part is the is probably the easiest part, but the patient needs to guide us and where they want to go first. And if they want treatment, if they don't want treatment, some people want to do alternative treatment. We, that's it's a it's a an individual choice. So we have to listen, try and answer the questions. Well, answer questions honestly if we can. As I said, it's okay to say we don't know. And I think it's just let them speak to for at the very at the beginning to to get their thoughts out. Yeah. So in some areas in some centers, they have uh, peer mentoring programs where they pair one person with the same sort of a, a, a person that has had the same uh, metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. How do you feel about that? Those can be challenging because sometimes if you pair them with somebody that you think is in the same path or was in the same path and isn't, it can become confusing because they're really listening to this person, feeling that they can get some insight as to what may happen to them through this person. What are your thoughts around that? I, I haven't I haven't worked with that in that aspect at all. I must admit, um, we our, we are centre that's it's we don't do that. I mean, it, it's I think it's an, it, there's also a social media now is, is huge. I'm not the greatest social media person, but I find that younger maybe younger patients will go to chat groups. Uh, you know, maybe Facebook. There's more. They 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 will tend to do more of the social media th- thing. I do hear from people that they have joined, you know, groups or they've gone on different websites and they haven't found somebody with the same story as them. The other thing, even if you pair somebody up, I, this is my belief that with the same background and in, in their medical journey, they might have a different response, which then is to treatment, which might be cause them some of that anxiety. No, I understand. It's not done everywhere, but these are the issues that may come up when you're doing something like peer mentoring. It's just that some people ask for it and say, I want to speak to somebody who's gone down that route and I'd like to hear firsthand from somebody else. But you're right. You're, you're, you're saying exactly what is experienced out there. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. So if we're going to move on a little bit to the supported in feeling supported, after the diagnosis, do patients uh, typically have a positive experience when they're consulting support groups? Yes. Well, it, it again, it depends. It depends on the support groups that they've joined. And as I said, the my experience is that people I've met more through friends, like my okay, my friend's sister or mother or my aunt had a cancer. Um, had a breast cancer, a metastatic breast cancer, but it again it depends on their 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 treatment path. And I think uh, some people get a lot from groups, and other people not so much. And I think our social work group, our psychosocial oncology program group, have a lot of good resources to direct people for what they're looking for. Whether it's just a meditation group or an exercise group for people with cancer, then. One group doesn't fit all there. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, 
to sit around and talk about their disease. Right. So, in general, uh, what are your thoughts and what are maybe two or three uh, points that you would say is very important to a person that has just learned that they have a metastatic disease uh, diagnosis? Based on what we've just discussed, what are the two or three main things that would help these individuals through their journey? I think it's one step at a time. None of us can predict the future. People want to know what's going to happen in the future, but unfortunately, we can't predict it. But somebody with the same, you know, initial diagnosis before they became metastatic, exactly the same, may never come back to the cancer center. Why did they come back? We don't know. And I think that's important that it's one step at a time. And it's an individual approach to them medically and psychologically. They have, we have to get all the information before we even go on the journey, like make sure everything, the information that we have as far as what's the right path to take is, uh, is, uh, is there. We have all the test results. I think, and I, I, mean, I keep going back to honesty. Like if they, you, people have to be honest about what they want and what they're hoping, we, we, you know, what they were, they're hoping for their future. And we have to be honest with them. You're not going to tell somebody who's with their advanced stage, you know, oh, you're going you're gonna to have many years and vice versa. Somebody who has maybe got a very, like one metastatic area, their outcome's going to be a lot better. So it's, it's explaining their particular, I guess, disease area and, and just, just honesty. I keep going back to honesty. Write down all your questions. I think one of the things is maybe... People go to Google and a lot of our, the websites are not Canadian for a start. Our medical journey here in Canada is a bit different from in the US. Um, their expectations, some people come with expectations that just are maybe not going to be fulfilled because we live, we, we live in Canada as opposed to the States. You know, we're close neighbors, but it's not, I think reputable, um, websites is if they're going to go on the internet is, a, is also very important. I think another thing is that they don't have to make a decision right here, there and now on that first day. Collect your information, gather your thoughts, and then if you, if it has, if you have to think about things, then that's certainly all right as well. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us on this episode of Breast Cancer Connection, and thanks again for your time. You're welcome. For information resources discussed today, Take a look at our episode show notes and visit cbcn.ca to learn more. You can also find us on social media. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and join us next time for another episode of Breast Cancer Connection. We'd like to remind our listeners that what we've discussed in this podcast shouldn't be taken as medical advice. Any examples, tips, and or insights from this episode should be further discussed with patients, personal caregivers, and healthcare providers.